So, well, thank you guys for being here. Hey, spoiler alert, the tomb is still empty. It is still, it is still a resurrection Sunday in this house. Amen. Those of you that are watching us online, thank you guys for being with us. And we pray that the presence of God would invade your environment right now and that you would know that God is good and that you would bear witness to that also. But the tomb is still empty. And listen, the devil is still mad. He's still upset. This is another punch in the mouth, a kick in the teeth for him to remind him. And today it doesn't get any better for the enemy. Because we're going to celebrate today. You guys okay with celebration? Listen, I don't know. Well, we do celebrate. We just sometimes don't celebrate the right things. We celebrate. My, my parents used to celebrate when I got A's in conduct in elementary school. In fact, check this out. Straight A's in my coursework was never a threat for me. But when I got A's in conduct, man, I got to go get a banana split. Hallelujah been about 45 years since I've had a banana split, if that tells you anything about my conduct. But uh, anyway, but God is good. Celebrate today. We're going to celebrate a little bit today. And, and for those of you that are watching us online, I hope that you are able to, to just raise a praise in your environment right now as well. And uh, God is good. You know, I love this. this um, can we just, let's pray for a move of God right now. I just want to do that. And not only in this house, but in places all across the, the world. We've got pastor friends that are that are, I sent this, this verse out today. I sent out Ephesians 2.10. My God is able to do more than we could ever dream or imagine, right? And, and I challenge my colleagues today, hey, just let God do it. His way is better. <laughs> it is better. And so God, I'm praying today for a move of your spirit in every house of worship, wherever believers are gathered, God, I pray that your presence would be there with them. And they would know that you're there in their midst. And that when your presence shows up, when your spirit's present, transformation is possible. It breaks out. Miracles happen, right? Wow. So we're excited today. Come on, this is still Resurrection Sunday. Our king is still alive. And he is still active. And he is still calling people to his great name. That's why we sing, you are good, and you're never going to let us down. God, I know we probably let you down often, but that is not who you are. <laughs> That's why you're God and we aren't. We're just, you're different. And God, we worship you today. Holy Spirit, have your way in this room. Let us celebrate transformed lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, come on, say it louder than that. Listen. You're going to have to get a little undignified in church today, all right? You got to get a little undignified. Now, we're not going to dance like David in our underwear, but we're going to have fun today in this house. Is that okay? I, I think we, we've got this misconception that when you show up to a house of worship that, man, you got to put on a sour face. You got to be sad and gloomy. Don't you ever laugh. Don't you clap. Some of y'all just think we're a little demonic because we clapped and bounced and hooped and hollered in this room. Let's come on right? If we don't, the rocks will, right? And so we're going we're gonna to raise a praise and just have a, have a good time. Uh, this, this last week, we had incredible, incredible time as we gathered in this room. We talked about a resurrected Savior, and, and so many people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And you, you, can I just tell you something? That is the greatest miracle in life. 
You know, so, so many of us, we, we look for miracles, we look for something miraculous to happen. Can I just tell you right now, when a sinner gets saved, that is worth celebration. Amen? That is the greatest miracle of life. In fact, I love this, I love this story in Luke, in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells a parable about a, a, a lady that gets some coins, and she's got 10 of those, and she loses one. And the parable goes on to say that she begins to search We might exchange a wedding ring at a wedding ceremony. It was precious. And you know, some of you are like that. That when you misplace your wedding ring, the search that ensues throughout the house. Right. Don't ever take it off. Don't ever take it off, right? But this lady begins to search, and then it says that she finds the one coin. She's got nine, but she finds the one. And it says that she begins to rejoice and she begins to tell all her neighbors because the one that was lost has now been found, right? And I love this verse. Jesus wraps up this parable with this verse in verse 10. He says, that's the way God responds every time a lost sinner repents and turns to him. He says to all his angels, let's have a joyous Come on, a joyous celebration for the one who was lost, I have found. Come on, the greatest miracle that can happen in someone's life is to be lost and found. Now, spiritually, what we're saying is someone who's a sinner that receives Jesus and their sins are forgiven. And you know how Jesus forgives sins, don't you? As far as the East is from the West. He forgives those. We probably ought to learn a little bit from Jesus, should we not? When it comes to this idea of sin and forgiveness, that's how he views it, and that's what he does with it. Their sins are forgiven. They're, 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 they're given a new life. Their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I don't know what that looks like. But I can't wait to maybe, if that's a real deal, I can't wait to see that one day. I want to find my name. I'm going to be in heaven one day. Are you? I'm there. My name's written. Age of nine, I asked Jesus into my life, and he saved me. Now, I haven't always lived for Jesus since the age of nine. Just ask my family. I screwed up probably this week a lot, right? But I'm thankful for the grace and mercy and the forgiveness of God. Amen? But that is a miracle that happens in a person. We, we, we like to do this at 1910. We're about finding and restoring, right? Finding and restoring. Finding people far from God and restoring them, bringing them back into the relationship that God created for them. Listen, I'm telling you, the best life for you to live on earth is the life that Jesus came to give you. I'm telling you, it's not found in a bottle. It's not found in some pills. It's not found in relationships. It's not found in success. It's not found in, in how many followers you have or how great you are on TikTok. No, I'm telling you, the best life available for you to live on earth is a life in Jesus. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Let me hear you. Come on, where are you at, blood-bought, redeemed sons and daughters? Where are you at? All right. 
And so I love this image that Jesus paints for us in Luke 15. He says that when someone's lost, we, we have this found sign in our atrium. I don't know if you've seen it. I think there's 42 light bulbs on it and, and, and they're turned off initially. But what we do symbolically is when someone says yes to Jesus, they've been lost, but now they're found. We grab a ladder and we just did it a while ago. And we put it up there, that found sign, and they turn one of those dark bulbs, they turn it, twist it, and it, boom, it lights up. They once walked in darkness, but now they walk in the light. They were lost, but now they're found. Amen? And I just, the, 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 this imagery that I have is, I, I just check this out. Now listen, this is probably not biblical. Jesus says there's a joyous celebration in heaven. But, but in, in my translation, the, 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 JB, the JB version, Jason Brown version, I, I, I just can't help but think because there's the, 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 the angels in glory have, have grabbed bucket of popcorn. And, and they've gone to that icing machine. You, you know, you love that icing machine at the Palladium when it's all you can drink. Come on, somebody, they lose money. But no, you, you pay 17 bucks for a, a Slurpee. But, but, and I just can't help but think that today, because we're going to have a celebration in just a few moments. Spoiler alert. We're going to celebrate. And I can't help but think that the angels in heaven are like, oh, we're ready. Oh, we're ready for the party. Right? I remember Terrell Owens a few years ago threw popcorn in his face when he was celebrating the touchdown. I just think popcorn's about to fly. Slurpees are going to be floating through heaven today. And there's going to be a celebration. Jesus says there's a joyous celebration when someone who's lost, a repentant sinner, is found. Come on, somebody. That's a miracle. Why do we not celebrate it more? I think for some of us, we're just like, oh, somebody got saved. And we golf clap. Or we, you know, it's just, why do we not celebrate more the greatest miracle in a person's life? Come on, listen, you, without Jesus, you are dead. You're dead. I'm here. I'm breathing. No, no, I'm telling you, you're missing out. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, life abundant and full. You're missing it. And so listen, today, and, and I'm just, this is foreshadowing. I just want you today, we're going to celebrate. And, and it's okay for us to hoot and holler and dance and scream and yell. You do that. You celebrate so many things in life. We just celebrate the wrong things. We celebrate when the Cowboys win a playoff game. And it's been a long time since that happened, hasn't it? We celebrate. My parents used to celebrate when I got an A in conduct. You know, I told you that. We celebrate at a Morgan Wallen concert. 15,000 people pulling out their cell phones and I will need some whiskey glasses. I mean, they're just singing whiskey. I mean, and they're videoing and they got their lights on. We celebrate. We just tend to celebrate the wrong thing. Can I ask ask you to help me with something today. Can we celebrate the miracle of a repentant sinner getting saved in this house? I'm telling you, Denise, it's going to happen. Can I count on you? I know I can count on you. Denise has got it in her. You got that juice. I know you do. And we're going to celebrate here today. Now, listen, we're going to, we're going to celebrate today through, through an ordinance called baptism. Now, I want to unpack that for you just if I can real quickly. Can I do that? Is that all right? You're here. We're here. You're dialed in. Let's just 
grab a snack and, and let me just talk to you for a little bit. But, but we're going to celebrate through an ordinance. Jesus gave us the ordinance of communion, right? The Holy Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, we, and we celebrate that here. But, but we're going to celebrate today through another ordinance called scriptural baptism. Now, let me, let, we did not create this. This is not something that Luther or D.L. Moody or even Billy Graham or one of those great men of the faith or a woman of faith, because there are great women of faith as well, right? Let's be honest. They didn't create, this is something that Jesus himself instituted. He, he showed us the way. In fact, let me read to you what it says in the book of Mark chapter one. I think you have it on the screens, but I'm going to read from my Bible. I love, I am a tactile person. Does that mean you like to touch things? Yeah. I don't know what it means, but I think that's what Wikipedia said, but I love to hold the word of God in my hands and, and, and read in Mark chapter one, verse nine says one day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and there was a man named John who baptized him in the Jordan river. Now we looked at John the Baptist a few weeks ago, John the Baptist that didn't speak to the denomination of a church he went to. He wasn't a Baptist. He was called Baptist because he was baptizing people. He's John the Baptist. Now, if you know anything about Jesus and John the Baptist, they kind of had history together, did they not? We know that Jesus's mother was named Mary. John the Baptist's mother was named Elizabeth. They were cousins and they were pregnant with these two boys at the same time. We know that the news when Mary came to Elizabeth, her cousin, and said, I'm pregnant with the son of God. Can you imagine that? I mean, I'm sure Elizabeth is pretty stoked about being pregnant, but how do you come back with, but mine's the son of God. How do you come back with that? I mean, can, can my kid ever match up to Jesus? You know? Anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's just, I'm just making a funny there. But, um, but they were, and it says that John leapt within Elizabeth's womb because she knew, or he knew, <clears throat> that the son of God was, bear, uh, was being born through Mary. Amen. So these guys have relationship. They have relate. Jesus is around 30 years of age when this is happening in Mark chapter one. It says he, he comes from Nazareth. He goes through Galilee and he finds John the Baptist. John is baptizing in the wilderness outside the city. People are leaving the temples of worship in the city. They're going out to hear this camel wearing Locusts and honey eating, fiery yelling John, and he's baptizing people in water. Okay? Now, now look what it says. It says, John baptized him in the Jordan River, and as Jesus came up out of the water. Now, that's an important thing to think about here with what we're going to celebrate here today. The word baptize in the Greek comes from the word baptismo. The word means to plunge or to immerse under water. Sprinkling, anointing, breathing on, and powing people on the forehead, that's not scriptural baptism, okay? It means to immerse. It means to plunge under water. That's the method for scriptural baptism. Are you okay so far? Because it says here, as Jesus came up out of the water. So can't you just see John in the Jordan River, and they probably grabbed somebody on the head and kind of thrust them under and brought them up. We're not that aggressive in our celebration, okay? Now, I might hold you down for a while until the bubbles almost stop, but now we'll get you up. Just kidding, I won't do that. That's just seeing if you're with me. But it says, as he comes up out of the water, check out this baptism. 
He saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a what? A dove. Wow. Now, we're not going to release dove in the house today because there's too many rednecks in here and I'm afraid of what might just happen in here, okay? But that is some baptism, is it not, Doug? That the heavens split apart and the Spirit of God, Dave, descended on him like a dove. And if that's not enough, check this out. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. That's an incredible baptism. But here's what I love about that too. We see in this baptism, the Trinity represented. God, the father, his voice, this is my son, right? Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove and the son of God, Jesus himself. Is that not an incredible story there. Wow. Jesus modeled it for us. And we're going to participate in this celebration here in just a few moments. But I want you to know that that people are not going to be baptized today. It's not going to save them. They're they're being baptized because they already are saved. (laughs) Baptism doesn't save a person. Okay. It is simply an outward demonstration of an inward decision that you've already made. But there's nothing magical about this water. In fact, I kind of see some things floating around in it a little bit today. It's going to be awesome. No joke, there was a cricket in the baptism when I was baptized at the age of nine. I'll never forget it. I don't remember anything the preacher said. Uh, I think somebody sent us a a, a text message, a picture of a a baptism. At a baptism, something about, you know, somebody in a suit you know, holding me under the water and parents taking pictures of it. What's that all about? Something like that. It's crazy. But, but baptism doesn't save a person, but it is simply is, it's, it's a marker, you might say. It is something that identifies myself as a follower of Jesus. It is, it's, it's, it's me getting it. In fact, I believe that, that baptism is one of the first steps of discipleship that a believer in Jesus Christ can take. I, I, I believe that this ought to be the easiest. In fact, to me, this is the easiest thing I believe that Jesus will ever call a person to do in order to show that he's a disciple of him, to follow through in baptism. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, I love this story of a man by the name of Philip who is preaching and teaching. Remember, in, in, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church fills them, you know, and, and, and they begin to preach and teach a resurrected Jesus. We talked about that last week, right? Y'all know the tomb's empty, right? It's still empty and it's okay for us to, this is still resurrection Sunday. Um, but they begin to, pre- but in Acts chapter eight, we read the story of a man named Philip who's traveling and he has an encounter with a, a dignitary from Ethiopia. They, we, in scripture, he's called an Ethiopian eunuch, right? And in Acts chapter eight, there's this story of this eunuch riding in a carriage and and, and, and Philip sees him and the spirit of God prompts him to go and walk beside the carriage. Can I just encourage you with something today? When the spirit of God prompts you to do something, obey the spirit promptly. Do it. It might not make sense. It might seem crazy to you, but do not be afraid. If God calls you to do something, I don't know how you make a way, but I know you will. He's going to make a way and it's going to be okay. All right. Philip goes and gets alongside this carriage and in, in, in Acts chapter 8, you can read this. I don't have the scripture. Actually, I have a little bit I'm going to read to you. This is bonus Bible, so just, 
just trust me with that. But Philip gets alongside. This eunuch is reading from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, and he's reading verses about Jesus. He's reading verses about being, he will be led like sheep to a slaughter. He'll be a lamb silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. Isn't that something? Jesus did not open his mouth in the presence of his accusers. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just be silent when people are accusing you of stuff. He was humiliated and received no justice. Anyway, he's reading, this eunuch is reading about Jesus, but it's confusing to him. He doesn't know. And so here's Philip. Why is Philip there? Because he obeyed the spirit and he, whether he hops up in the carriage or he halts the carriage, but he begins to unpack the scripture for this Ethiopian dignitary. Basically, Philip leads him to Jesus. He explains the gospel to him. What I love is they're traveling. This eunuch, he didn't know much. He just knew that he'd been saved. He once was lost, but now he's, 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 there you go. <laughs> Let's do push-ups. You guys will do anything I ask. No, I'm just kidding. You won't. Um, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And here's what I love. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop. They went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Even this eunuch here understands, man, I've just received this incredible gift. My old life is gone. My new life has come and I want to be baptized. I want to take this step of obedience. So it's an identifier that I belong to Jesus. It's much like putting on a wedding ring that signifies that I'm married, Right? It's, it's maybe putting on the team uniform to tell you who I belong to, right? Jesus modeled what we're going to participate in today for us. He set for us an example. Why would Jesus do that? Jesus was sinless. But I think Jesus set for us an example. I think in his baptism, Jesus was relating to our humanity and our sinfulness. He was modeling for us. I think he was honoring John and John's ministry that he'd been preaching and teaching out for so long about the coming one, the Messiah. I baptize you with water, John says, but he will baptize you with, come on, the fire and the Holy Spirit. Wow. That's a step of discipleship. But here's what I also want you to understand about what we're going to participate in today, because I don't want us to be flippant about what we're going to celebrate today. I don't want us to lose the significance of, of what this holy moment is going to be here in just a few moments. You see, there, there, there is something else that takes place in our lives when we're baptized. It's not just putting on the jewelry or the uniform and identifying as a follower of Jesus, but there is a uh, symbolic cleansing or you might say circumcision that takes place in our lives. Now, let me walk you through some of the Old and New Testaments quickly. There are 66 books and I'm not going to say it all. But you need to understand circumcision first shows up on the scene, I believe, around Genesis chapter 17 with God's covenant with a man by the name of Abraham, right? And God and Abraham make a covenant. And as a form of their covenant, God tells Abraham to circumcise um, his family and believers. Now, listen, if you don't know what that means, just look at Google. It'll explain that to you, okay? I don't want to get into that. But that circumcision in the Old Testament, Genesis 17, was the sign of covenant with God. That word covenant is one of the strongest words you'll ever find in Scripture. 
We, we like to use the word contract a lot of times in our culture today, that if you fulfill your end, I'll fulfill my end. No, covenant is much more than that. In, in Genesis 17, covenant was confirmed by circumcision, a physical act. We know that, 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 that God's covenant was sealed, uh, where, where circumcision was, was a covenant between God and people. Water baptism is that for us today. We know that God confirmed and made covenant with mankind through shed blood. Remember the Passover, spread blood of the lamb over your doorpost, and the spirit would pass by, spirit of death, right? We know also, though, that God also sealed covenant with blood through the death of his son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We know that Jesus went to a cross and he died for us. Have you heard that story? We know that there is no payment for our sins, our wrongdoings without the shedding of blood, right? We know that the priest in the temple would take a, an animal and sacrifice that yearly and blood would flow and symbolic of the forgiveness of sins. Well, God made covenant with us through the shedding of blood. We make covenant with God through water baptism. You see, covenant speaks of relationship and commitment. Water baptism is our covenant with God, but there's something symbolically also that it represents, and that is circumcision of our heart. You see, when I come to Christ, there's some stuff in me that's not of him. The Bible calls that sin, and we all have that disease, by the way. Every one of us do. And so therefore, when I, when I come to Christ, there's, there's some circumcision that needs to happen in my life spiritually. I need to lay aside, Frank, some of my old habits. Maybe some words that I used to use. Maybe some vices that I used to look to that I thought would bring me, well, make me feel good or fulfill me and bring me joy and peace. There's a circumcision of the heart that takes place symbolically also when we celebrate water baptism. Old things in my life are washed away and things are made new. In fact, look what it says in, in Colossians chapter 2. You do have this verse, verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Wow. Are you seeing it right now? It's more than just getting wet and getting your hair messed up. There's something symbolic happening in what we're going to celebrate here today. Now, you don't have this, but let me just explain to you because there's symbolism in how we do scriptural baptism as well. Look what verse 12, you don't have this. It says, for you were baptized with Christ when you were baptized. I'm baptized with Christ. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God and raised Christ from that raised Christ from the dead. You see, we're going to have people get in this pool today and, and, and they are going to be standing there symbolic of their old life. This is symbolic of sinfulness. We know that Jesus hung on a cross and in that process, he took on the sin, my sin and all of ours in this room, the sin of the world, the innocent man. I told you he was sinless but he became guilty. Therefore, it was necessary for Jesus to die. 
because sinners deserve death. It's what you deserve. It's what I deserve. But the story doesn't end there, aren't you thankful? Because Christ died, and just as they buried him in a grave, because he was dead, he was buried there, we're going to lower people under the water, and I promise you I will get them up. I just baptized a big dude in the first service, and he survived. He made it. But it's symbolic of a cleansing that takes place, that circumcision, that cleansing, the cutting away. It's symbolic of I'm dying to the old life. But we know, have you heard that Jesus didn't stay in the tomb? (laughs) Have you heard that he's out? He's still loosed? Because Jesus rose from the grave, and check this out, we can too. That we don't have to stay dead and buried in our sin and our wrongdoings that we can be raised to new life. So I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says. It says, through Jesus, we're made new. And the verse says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has come. Are you getting it yet? The old things can be buried and cut away and laid aside. And we can be made new. Wow. So we're going to celebrate today. Um, and, and let me just remind you, cliff note version real quick. Some of you are like, well, why didn't you just start with the cliff note version? Why did you just waste 20 minutes of my time? Well, just hang in there. The cliff note version is this. The meaning of what we're about to celebrate is identification with Jesus. Okay? So I'm identifying myself as a follower of his. Are we okay with that? The meaning is what? Identification. The method? Immersion. That's what the word means, to plunge under the water. I'll get them up, I promise you. I've worked out. We'll get them up. The method is immersion. Not sprinkling anointing, breathing on, or whatever, scaring or anything like that, not spooking them, it's immersion. The meaning is identification, the method is immersion, and the timing is after someone calls upon the name of the Lord and is saved. Now, let me just maybe clear something up. Some of you have said, well, I was baptized when I was a child. I would say, praise God that your parents had you ceremonially dedicated before the Father. I'm talking about something completely different here. I'm not here to discount or discredit and praise God. In fact, we we celebrate family dedication at 1910. Now, we don't baptize infants, but, but next Sunday, as a matter of fact, we're having a family dedication. Moms and dads will bring their kids before us and We'll have them up here. We'll pray blessing over them. We will definitely pray for the moms and dads because you know what kids can do sometimes. And you were one of them too sometimes, right? But we did, we're, we're not talking about that. My parents had me dedicated when I was an infant. Jesus' parents had him dedicated in the temple. They took him there. Remember that day and he got loose? <laughs> Where is he? Oh, he's just teaching the preachers and the teachers. Jesus knows some stuff. Y'all know that, right? He knows some stuff. 
So we're not talking about it, but what we're talking about here today and what you're going to see from individuals, they've already given their life to Jesus. They've made a decision to ask Jesus Christ to come into their life, forgive them of their sins, to cleanse them and save them. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, Jesus. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe you rose from the grave and I need you to forgive me of my sin. These people have already made that decision and they made it a free will. No one coerced them. No one forced them to do it. My parents prayed for me. I was raised in the local church. Anybody else in this room? And, and I love the local church. It's not perfect. It's not without flaws because just look around the room. There's a bunch of jacked up people in here, right? And we bring all of that mess into the house of God. But isn't it great how he brings us together? And Harvey, how we still love and accept each other based, not based on our junk and funk, but based on who he is and what he's able to do in a person's life. Amen. That's what he does. What was I saying? I love the local church. People prayed for me and pointed me to Jesus, but I had to make the decision myself. My parents couldn't make that decision for me. And so for me, it was at the age of nine, Gil, that I said, Jesus, will you save me? And I needed saving. I bit people growing up as a kid, the biter. So I'm such a carnivore today. I think I like meat, you know, just, there's something about it. Used to chew tobacco as a baseball player. Come on. Where are my tobacco chewers? Just don't raise your hand. Don't, don't, that's wrong. But Jesus saved me. I had to make that decision myself. My parents couldn't make it for me. And I know that there's some of you in this room today. You've already made that decision for Jesus. Haven't you? Come on. Where are my saved people in the house? Let me see your hand. Here's the deal. Maybe you're here today and you couldn't raise your hand, and that's okay. Because can I tell you something? Salvation can still come to your house today. That Jesus is not done. He's not reached his saved quota in the world. That there are still people that he's still pursuing today. And he loves you. Hey, you know that one that might be lost? Might be you. That may be the very reason you came here today. Just for Jesus to give you another opportunity to say yes to him. Let me ask you a question today. What's keeping you from following and taking this step of obedience that we read about in Scripture? What's keeping you from following in the footsteps of Jesus? This doesn't save a person. But what saves a person is, well, what you do with your mouth. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you asked him to come into your, and, and cleanse you of your sins and to save you? Have you declared like that Roman officer that killed Jesus on the cross? Whew, he is the Son of God. Have you had that moment? If not, today can be your day. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, can I just... just Pray this prayer with me. Maybe today you just, you want to ask Jesus to come in and change you and transform your life. Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life today. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, today I confess my sins to you. I ask you to wash me clean and to save me today. I believe you rose from the dead. 
And I believe that there's a new and better life that you have for me. Come in today, Lord, and save me. Listen, I want you to know that if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, check this out. That's what God just did. He saved you. I don't save people. The pressure's off of me. I don't do that. But the Holy Spirit does that. And if you prayed those words and you meant that, if you are sincere about asking Jesus to save you, check this out. He'll do it. He'll do it. 